He takes, 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 top ten takeaways. Take away. Terrible, 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 terrible day for the top ten takeaways. It's I'm miserable. This is terrible. It's just worst case scenario. I didn't even want to consider it. I've been suspicious of Jonathan Taylor and his incredibly weird metrics on playerprofiler.com, but I was just assuming these were the natural growing pains evolution of a young receiver running back in the NFL. You couldn't expect him to be a top five running back in his first year at age 20, but I'm not saying be top five. I'm saying be average. Be average. Just be average, Jonathan Taylor. And the problem was the advanced metrics on playerprofiler.com were an indictment. Heading into this week, this is before this week. It gets worse after we factor in week eight. But before week eight even began, remember, we were fooled. We were fooled by that five yards of carry before the bye week against Cincinnati, right? Five yards of carry. Went over 115 total yards. Two consecutive weeks with 15-plus fantasy points. We were fooled. I was fooled. We're all fools. Except a handful of people, apparently, that saw something in the Jonathan Taylor game tape at Wisconsin and were concerned. I was not concerned. I couldn't have been more confident heading into this year. Jonathan Taylor, especially with Marlon Mack out with a torn ACL, would just smash and smash and smash. But he's not smashing. 5.0 yards per touch. Great. That's because heading into this game against the Lions. The Lions! Against the Lions. 10.1 yards per reception, number one in the NFL among running back. His catch rate, 90%, number one in the NFL right now. He has the best catch rate of any running back in the NFL at this very moment. Factoring in week eight. What? Jonathan... I thought this was going to be the Jonathan Taylor grinder year, and then he would slowly acclimate and become a stronger and stronger receiver, a la his contemporary at Wisconsin, Melvin Gordon, right? Melvin Gordon, better and better receiver as the years went on with the Chargers. You're expecting him to start slow as a receiver and work his way into it. You know, look, look at Ronald Jones, incompetent receiver, and still incompetent, so it didn't get better. But some some running backs, they develop into strong receivers over time. This was the hope with Jonathan Taylor, but he's one of the best receivers out of the backfield in the NFL. And yet, and yet, of all things, of all things, he's one of the worst runners heading into Week 8. This does not count Week 8. 15% juke rate outside the top 40 and .46 yards created per touch outside the top 50. This was before he absolutely imploded in week eight we're standing at ground zero for a bust running back and it it's painful it's painful the running backs that are not getting starters snaps and touches deandre swift jk dobbins most notably they're exceeding expectations they're hyper efficient and they look great electric begging their teams to give them more touches and the teams that have said we'll give the rookie Primary back role, Kansas City, Indianapolis, 
It's just fart noises. It's every third week we get RB1 production from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And every single week, Jonathan Taylor misses expectations. Even against the Bengals, we're looking at at least more 15 fantasy points. That was the bare minimum. He's giving you the bare minimum. And I'm like, how is this possible? And I look, and you don't see these 60, 70-yard runs. That's what you had from a, a Leonard Fournette, right? All the juice coming out of LSU. And then he would deliver these long runs. Sure, he'd get bottled up, but then you'd have these explosive runs. Whenever there was a crease, he would explode through it, and he would give you that sick. You haven't seen that. Long touchdown run from Jonathan Taylor. We haven't seen it. And I was one, that was my big concern, was where's the big plays? I know he's getting targeted more than we expected. He's catching these passes, but I'm not seeing these 60-yard runs. Where are they? A lot of running backs in the NFL are delivering these big splash play runs and catches, but 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 not Jonathan, the guy I would think would be best equipped with one of the best screen game quarterbacks ever in Phillip Rivers, the best guard in the NFL, Quentin Nelson. Things are setting up for him to explode through holes and score long touchdowns, and he doesn't do that ever. It's not something he does, and I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And now I'm, I'm seeing these... These clips from weeks past in my coffee cup is just uh, is dropping midair, just slow motion. Just, there's the coffee cup hanging in the air. What? What? Like a hole, a gaping hole to his left, his immediate left. And he does not shift his weight forward and to the left. He just runs straight ahead. Where? Where's where's the lateral movement? Where's the vision? I, I don't I don't get it. He has no feel. And I, if you watched him at Wisconsin, he had incredible feel. He had an incredible feel of when to sidestep defenders, accelerate, stop, accelerate, stop, in order to find those creases and crevices on a 45-degree vector, straight left, straight right. He was a video game joystick at Wisconsin with a super burst acceleration mode and the ability to just truck defenders in the open field. It was a beautiful thing. I'm not talking about just Kent State, yes, he dominated Kent State, but also Ohio State. The entire state of Ohio, whether it's Ohio State, Kent State, Jonathan Taylor was going to run you over. <laughs> I just, I didn't, I've never seen anything like it. Well, I have Trent Richardson. I've seen Trent Richardson, but I don't believe he's Trent Richardson because he's much more explosive than Trent Richardson was. Trent Richardson was a dominant runner. He was relatively active in the passing game, given his role at Alabama. And he was a dominant runner. And when you watch Alabama, it's clear that he knew where to be. And he was timing his cuts and planting his foot and, and going upfield with the exact right timing based on the run blocking of the Alabama offensive line. It was a beautiful thing to watch Trent Richardson in an Alabama uniform. And then he went to the Browns and then he, he went to the Colts. And to see, to see Jonathan Taylor in a Colts uniform... That Trent Richardson uniform, it's it's not good. It's it's not it's not cool, man. I don't want to see it. I don't want to believe it. But here you have a a Jordan Wilkins putting up a more impressive day on the ground with you know partial snap share, less than fifty percent opportunity share, and he's cranking it up. I mean, he's cranking it way up. And I'm like, what? Where where was this all year? from Jonathan Taylor because it was one thing if, if they gave the ball to Wilkins and then Wilkins went out and he did what Jonathan Taylor has been doing giving you 15 carries for 60 yards I'd be mean, okay cool cool but he he went 
He went for 90 yards and a touchdown. Like, when we had a game like that from Jonathan Taylor? <laughs> like, where? What? Right? 4.5 yards a carry for Wilkins, 2.0 for Taylor. And then it comes out later where Philip Rivers says, well, you know, our guys played well. Hines played well. By the way, Hines with this roundoff. I know they go, oh, look at the cartwheel. That's not a cartwheel. That was a twisting, turning roundoff. That was incredible. He's a gymnast. How do they not give that guy the ball more? And I'm like sitting here going, man, look at those gymnastics moves, that explosiveness from Naheem Hines. I haven't seen explosiveness like that from Jonathan Taylor. Fuck Jonathan Taylor. Just give the ball to Naheem Hines. Why are you bothering with Taylor or Wilkins? I just, I'm clearly tilting. I have not tilted this hard in my history in this business because I was sure. I was sure as sure. There's nothing as sure as I was that Jonathan Taylor would be a fantasy RB1, if healthy, for consecutive seasons, for many seasons. Consecutive, 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 consecutive seasons. How could he not? It's just... He's the only college running back to start his career with three consecutive 2,000-yard seasons. 2,000 all-purpose yards as a true freshman, sophomore, junior, heads to the NFL at age 20. He's a budding superstar. And then nothing. Just a thud. And meanwhile, you look over to Baltimore and you see J.K. Dobbins. And they were contemporaries in the Big Ten. And if you watch them both, you think, hey, Dobbins, very, very athletic, very explosive. Has the requisite size. Better receiver than Jonathan Taylor, for sure. But still, got to prefer Jonathan Taylor. right? In the long run, Jonathan Taylor is better equipped to be a, a dominant force at running back. And then you see J.K. Dobbins do that thing. So Jonathan Taylor's been getting 15 carries regularly and doing nothing, like 60 yards. Okay. Dobbins gets 15 carries and goes for 113 yards and a touchdown. How? Why? Big, long, explosive runs where he's accelerating past defenders, he's getting out in space, he's breaking tackles. And he's running with confidence. He's running with that forward lean. That's the difference. The difference when you watch these two players is one player is attacking the line of scrimmage with forward momentum and not relinquishing that forward momentum. So heading into the line of scrimmage with that forward lean, fearless. And then just stutter, step, plant, and go. Where Jonathan Taylor is heading into the line of scrimmage with, with, with a, a backward lean with a, a, a defensive disposition, fearful, not fearless, and just taking whatever the offensive line gives him, running straight ahead, and, and that's it. And it, it's like you weren't doing that at Wisconsin. You were spin moves. You were stutter and explode. What? I don't know. I don't know. Somehow, some way, Dobbins is translating his Ohio State running one for one into the NFL. Taylor, no. no, no not interested. Yeah, and Dobbins has Ingram and Gus Edwards. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor, in terms of prototypical primary backs to compete for with touches, I mean, we're talking about Jordan Wilkins. Gus Edwards, far superior talent to Jordan Wilkins. <laughs> the opportunity is there. The offensive line is, is clearly creating opportunities, creating running lanes. It's not their fault. It's Jonathan Taylor's fault. And I don't know what to say, what to do from here. We have to move him down in the dynasty rankings. We have to. You have to. You can't watch a player be incompetent week after week. This stretches all the way back to the Jets game. 
when he's running into the pile. There's clearly a crease just to his left. It's like, what the hell are you doing? You never feel that way when you watch a Dobbins. It's 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 the mojo, man. It's a, he's got to find his mojo. He might be able to. But there's been a a history of completely incompetent running backs that were a fraction as talented as Jonathan Taylor. Just recently, we have Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones couldn't get on the field as a young 20-year-old rookie, and then he eventually evolved into a competent, between-the-tackles grinder, incompetent in the passing game, one of the worst receivers among all NFL running backs. But as a runner, Ronald Jones is a tackle-breaking machine, and he can be trusted to get what's blocked and a little more, which is a huge upgrade from 2018 Ronald Jones. Take a guy like Cedric Benson, first-round pick, big, bruising, workhorse back at Texas, and flames out on the Bears. Just useless. And has a career renaissance on the Bengals. And now, rest in peace, he died in a tragic motorcycle accident. And if Jonathan Taylor is Cedric Benson, that would be devastating for all of us who thought he would be so much more. But we have examples. There are analogs of players flaming out in epic fashion in their rookie year. Melvin Gordon, Miles Sanders. The list is long. Super inefficient runners, but like Miles Sanders, somehow, someway, Jonathan Taylor has been ultra-efficient as a receiver. Miles Sanders was the most efficient receiver out of the backfield in the NFL last year. And those two players this year have been J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor. So there's hope because you want young running backs. In Dynasty, you want young running backs with juice that can give you all those early years before they hit the age apex. Those are the best years. Age 21, age 22, age 23, age 24. Those are the years you want. I mean, Dalvin Cook is giving you that year. This is the end of the first half of Dalvin Cook's career. Age 24. This is what they do. Four touchdowns, right? He has the juice. You wanted Dalvin Cook for that rookie contract. You want Dobbins and Swift and Edwards Hilaire for their rookie contracts. Antonio Gibson, right? Do you want Cam Akers for his rookie contract? I don't know. Do you want Jonathan Taylor for his rookie contract? I, 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 I think so. I think so. But I can't sit here with certainty and say Jonathan Taylor is a great football player because there's too much evidence to the contrary. I could just forget this happened, right? We could just sweep this, right? Sweep, just sweep it under, right? We don't have to see that, right? We'll just sweep this under. We'll move on. There's 10 other takeaways from the games on Sunday. I don't have to talk about Jonathan Taylor. I don't have to dwell on a missed projection for his rookie year production and the inevitable decline in his lifetime value. It's coming. Go to the Dynasty Rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player rankings. His dynasty value is going down. It is going down. It's not going down the drain, but it's going down significantly. You will see a precipitous drop in his production. Now, again, Philip Rivers said he's hurt. And when you are hurt, it makes sense that you would run defensively. Dobbins feels 100%. He's running with that forward lean, like Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin. But now he's running to protect himself. And he's not confident cutting. That's what injuries do to you. And that's what Philip Rivers alluded to in his press conference after the game. So that press conference, it was incredibly encouraging, heartening to hear as someone who has rostered and touted 
Jonathan Taylor in Dynasty. It's, it's critical, right? If there was not a vote of confidence from a Philip Rivers and a rationalization for the inefficiency, then I would be even more depressed than I am now. But there's a lot at stake. Unfortunately, I invested multiple shows arguing Jonathan Taylor's excellence and his long-term value in Dynasty being second to none in this rookie class. And and I really, if I could turn back the clock, if we could jump in a time machine and I could redo that show sheet, you're goddamn right. I would have changed the narrative. God, fuck. Because this is not a Leonard Fournette situation. Leonard Fournette was an RB1 and then suffers a high ankle sprain and he comes back and he's an RB1 again. Great, right? Like, no rationalization needed, right? Oh, you drafted Christian McCaffrey at the 101 and he suffered a devastating high ankle sprain, also known as high ankle fucked. Coined that term on this show. It happens, right? Injuries happen. Okay, you move on. You drafted Michael Thomas. High ankle sprain right into the hamstring strain. Perfect, right? Chris Godwin, lost season. It, it happens. Happens at running back, happens at, at receiver. First round pick, third round pick. It, ha it happens. It happens. But there is no Jonathan Taylor injury on the week three injury report. Week four, week five. It's not there. He was struggling then. He was missing clear running lanes then. This is different. This isn't just, oh, I'm not getting the fantasy points in my box score. Take the L pod, father. This isn't that. This isn't me just a dismissive wave. No, player X was injured. Player Y is being betrayed by his supporting cast. No, 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 no. Let me be as clear as possible. If I have not been clear already, Jonathan Taylor is failing. And my assessment of his value was wrong. It's not easy, man. It's not easy. It's not easy sitting in this chair. It's not easy being the best and yet being fallible. It's, it's a tricky spot to be in, right? Because you're, you're very competitive and you're always aspiring for excellence and everything. And I'm certainly excellent, but also acknowledging that this is a Bayesian process that we followed, like the dynasty rankings. Like we're going to post up Jonathan Taylor and ignore the reality on the ground. No, no take lock here. They got to be comfortable with your fallibility. If you are a forecaster of the future and it's not easy, it's not easy. It's not, it's just not easy. And you'll also notice that with these early round running backs flailing and face planning that Zero RB is making a comeback. Now, I don't know which takeaway this is. Is this takeaway three? Because I had some take, I had multiple takeaways in there because it was also a Dobbins takeaway. So I think I had a Dobbins takeaway with a Taylor takeaway. I think we're at least on takeaway three. Takeaway three is robust running back went out to a big lead, right? If you, if you weren't getting Mike Davis, especially if you were the robust running back guy that also bid on Mike Davis and acquired Mike Davis and stashed him playing keep away, with your zero RB league mates. I mean, that's just, that's incredible gamesmanship, right? That's what you should be doing. That's why we have the waiver wired show. And every week with the, the fab guidance, it's always invest in running backs, 
Invest in running backs. Invest in running backs. You'll always be able to get a Travis Fulgham at value on the waiver wire. Use your bidding power on running backs to supplement your stable, which is already strong. Just make it stronger. And you crowd out talented backs from your competitors. That's the key. So if you were 0RB and didn't get Mike Davis, you were 1-4. However, we're now through Week 8 after the Monday night game, and some of these 0RB teams are now 4-4. Four and four. And Because you, you think about what's happening. You have injuries to Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Dak Prescott, which has throttled Ezekiel Elliott's production significantly, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, the vast majority of first and second round running backs are missing most games. So think about the running backs that scored fantasy points. It was Dalvin Cook. It was Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry. Who else? Right? Who else scored fantasy points at the running back position in week eight? Well, I know who it was. It was DJ Dallas. It was Giovanni Bernard. It was Jordan Wilkins, Zach Moss, Jamal Williams, Justin Jackson. Most of those running backs weren't even drafted at all. So over time, as the season plays out, this is how the zero RB drafters start to gain an advantage. Can they make up all that ground to make the playoffs? Can they go from one and four to eight and four? Maybe, maybe not. Probably not. But I think zero RB is making it interesting. That's a takeaway. They're making it interesting as so many of these early round running backs are flaming out, mostly due to injury. But with Ezekiel Elliott, you have the Dak Prescott injury. So there's a injury adjacent scenario, which is rare that an injury to a member of a supporting cast would inflict so much damage on the fantasy point scoring of a running back. But when you go from Prescott to Danucci, that's what happens. That that's that's worst case scenario. The worst possible. I mean, if you're poor Ezekiel Elliott, you gotta feel bad. Amari Cooper, right? Nothing. Just nothing. You can't play him. You can't play him with Danucci. Matchup smack doesn't matter. Oh, good matchup, bad matchup, can't play him. Meanwhile, your 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 RB three on the week is DJ Dallas. Why? Because Russell Wilson. You cannot it's impossible to underestimate the power that quarterbacks have to control the fantasy point output of running backs. But it's not just injuries, it's just underperforming, too. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor, right? It's just James Conner. James Conner's giving you the bare minimum. And I warned that this was possible, that the reception total for James Conner in 2018 was a total mirage because that was the year that Ben Roethlisberger set the record for pass attempts, 675 pass attempts. Couldn't come close to that. So there was the, the targets are going to move down significantly for James Conner. He'll get the carries, grinding clock with a great defense. That, that's going to happen. Catches, not so fast. But still, but still, at least he's been giving you the RB2 production that you need every week. At least he's been giving you fantasy points. Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones, Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb, they're all unavailable. And yet still, yet still, if you look at the fantasy point output, the top 12 running backs in fantasy football, Kamara, Cook, Henry, Elliott, James Robinson, who wasn't even being drafted until the final week of the offseason before the season started, you know, 10 days out, the team releases Leonard Fournette, and then all of a sudden, James Robinson becomes you know, a mid-round pick. But most drafts, 
James Robinson was not drafted. So I don't consider James Robinson a zero RB back. Kareem Hunt, on the other hand, absolutely. Drafted in round five in most league formats. Todd Gurley, third round pick. He's actually checking in at the RB7 because of all the touchdowns. Then you have Mike Davis, undrafted. Aaron Jones, RB9. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, first round pick, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, RB10. Second rounder, Josh Jacobs, RB11. And then James Conner, RB12. So most of the backs in the top 12 were drafted in the first three rounds. So it, it was good process, right? And you look at the wide receivers. Tyler Lockett, fifth round. Ridley, third rounder. So zero RB, hit with Ridley. You get DK Metcalf, fifth rounder. Hopkins, second round. Tyree Kill, second round. Stephon Diggs, sixth round. Remember Stephon Diggs? Oh, Josh Allen, highly inaccurate. Can't draft Stephon Diggs before the sixth round. Devontae Adams, second rounder. Tyler Boyd, seventh rounder. Allen Robinson, third rounder. Amari Cooper, fourth rounder in some cases. I have a lot of Cooper. Surprising. Surprising how much Cooper I have on underdog. Robbie Anderson, late round pick. Robert Woods, fourth rounder. I have a lot of Woods. Robert Woods is now a wide receiver one. And the majority of the wide receivers I just listed were not drafted in the first three rounds. But, 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 but what you're seeing is a lot of these receivers that were injured early in the season, Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, they're coming back. Now, I know Godwin's still out. Now, Galladay is out. So that's unfortunate. He was a third round pick. Michael Thomas still out. So it, it's a problem. It's a problem for all these players. that You don't have the full offseason, training camp, preseason, to ramp up your activities. You're more susceptible to injury, but I think that the running backs are now more susceptible than the wide receivers. They're coming back online. They've ramped themselves up. They're getting over these hamstring strains, but it's the running backs that have these severe high ankle sprains and MCL sprains and foot strains, Carson's out, Mixon's out with foot injuries. It's more debilitating lower body injuries for the running backs. And I think over time, you're going to start to see more and more of these fringe running backs. Chase Edmonds coming, right? They're going to start to move into that top 12 and the robust RB rope will start to slip where, okay, you were four and one. Okay, now you're six and four. Okay, trying to hold on here. That's why it's so important, so critical that you don't just draft a bunch of running backs early and call it a day and focus exclusively on wide receivers. You cannot do that. We, we emphasize that so much on the waiver wired show that you need to continue to stockpile running backs, and your entire bench at this point in the season should just be running backs so that you're the one that benefits from the Chase Edmonds. That you're the one that benefits from the DJ Dallas. It's not illegal for robust RB drafters to also pick up DJ Dallas, especially if you're listening to the Waiver Wired Show. And if you go to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash podfather, we had Dallas as a much higher priority than uh, Carlos Hyde. And this was at a time when everyone was saying, oh, go get Carlos Hyde. Eh, not so fast. Why? Because the disposition of this show, this entire enterprise, is players with juice athleticism matters. Explosiveness matters. Now, there are some instances where a player is so good at his craft at an early age, throughout his college career and throughout his professional career, Robert Woods, great example. Right? Robert Woods was viewed as this you know, low-ceiling play. You can get more upside with players like Terry McLaurin and Cortland Sutton and DK Metcalf. And yes, DK Metcalf was a superior pick in hindsight, absolutely. But 
Robert Woods had both a high ceiling and a high floor. And he's been a wide receiver one, even though the Rams pass to run ratio has been a lot lower than we expected because their defense has been a lot better than it was trending last season. So even in the face of more positive game script than we projected, Robert Woods still a wide receiver one because he's so versatile. He's so versatile, so dynamic. That dynamic score, taking carries out of the backfield and scoring touchdowns. That's how he's making up. Without the rushing production, he wouldn't be a wide receiver one. Not even close. But that's why you love Robert Woods, man. You have to love Robert Woods because of the versatility. It's not just about chasing the next Julio Jones. Yes, DK Metcalf, that was a clear win. But there's other ways to win. In fact, you could have drafted Robert Woods in the late fourth and then DK Metcalf in the early fifth. I didn't do that exactly. I have teams with Woods and Lockett, but Lockett has actually scored eight and a half more fantasy points this year than even DK Metcalf. The number one wide receiver in fantasy right now is actually Tyler Lockett. But in fantasy points per game, I'm sure you know who it is. You have to know who it is. It's it's Devontae Adams by a wide margin. Said, Who's going to be this year's Michael Thomas? It's clearly Devontae Adams. 27 fantasy points per game. The next highest wide receiver on the list, Tyler Lockett at 21.2. Now, how many observations is, I don't know. Are we Is that observation five? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. In the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds, there were a handful of running backs that we were interested in. DeAndre Swift, number one, and then Cam Akers was on that list, sadly. And Cam Akers is going to be a popular waiver wire ad because Darrell Henderson suffered a thigh injury, and he left and did not return at the end of the second quarter, which is encouraging for both Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers. But Malcolm Brown did what Malcolm Brown does. Malcolm Brown is a one-for-one doppelganger, a a clone of Mike Davis. You put Malcolm Brown on the Panthers, he would give you the Mike Davis production one-for-one. These are big backs that lack explosiveness but have great lateral quickness and offer the complete skill set that coaches love in the passing game. They're great pass blockers and they're reliable receivers out of the backfield. But Cam Akers has the juice. The problem is, even after Henderson goes out in the second quarter, only 21 snaps, only eight routes run, nine total touches, and only 6.4 fantasy points for Cam Akers. So I'm not ready to declare victory on Cam Akers with Henderson going out. Henderson has been disappointing. That Akers would be unavailable with this dislocated rib cartilage, and that Malcolm Brown would just be Malcolm Brown, right? a slightly above replacement Good, not great, in all phases, lunch pail running back. Right, Darrell Henderson couldn't separate himself from, but now it's Cam Akers' turn. I think Cam Akers can do it, but we just we, we just wait on McVay. In the second half, we didn't get Cam Akers unleashed. I wanted to see it, and it didn't happen, and I am reticent to project that it's going to happen. Now, on the lineup, Genius, you're going to see a bunch of Cam Akers, just like this week. On the lineup, genius, you had a bunch of J.K. Dobbins with uh, no Gus Edwards, right? We're going to lean upside and explosiveness and activity in the passing game. The problem is Malcolm Brown's been running a hell of a lot more routes per game. Even in the second half in week eight, he ran more routes than Cam Akers, which is unfortunate. But you just have to project that this would be the week that the ribs are finally 100% and that Sean McVay decides he's going to take the sports car for a ride. 
And we're going to project that to happen. We're just going to, we, we expected that with DJ Dallas, even if, even if Carson was active or Hyde was active, we were going to play some DJ Dallas and GPPs. We're going to play JK Dobbins, even if we don't think he'll get a 50% opportunity share when all these guys are healthy, because they could go off and hit over 20 fantasy points on just a handful of touches. That's how explosive they are. And what if Gus Edwards gets hurt? What if Malcolm Brown goes down? Then that player has the juice to go nuclear with an 80% opportunity share in the second half. That, that, and that's how you can get to 30-plus fantasy points. And then at low ownership, because most are worried that that's, that's too fringy of a play. Oh, Dobbins too fringy. Eh. DJ Dallas. Eh. You got to play these guys. And I was happy... To see our lock button play of the week, Brandon Ayuk. Brandon Ayuk. Just from the Plays of the Week email, all subscribers, whether it's on Patreon, whether it's on Player Profiler, get our Plays of the Week. And we list 15 players. We have the, the free square of the week and the, the Hail Mary of the week and the lock button of the week. The lock button wide receiver, Brandon Ayuk. This is from the Plays of the Week email. Brandon Ayuk established himself as the alpha wide receiver, dominating the outside routes even after Debo Samuel returned to the active lineup. In week seven, Ayuk posted a super efficient 115 receiving yards on an 86% catch rate and 105 air yards. Samuel out in week eight. Expect Ayuk's usage to spike in a likely shootout against Seattle. Great cornerback matchup, a burn-worthy secondary. The weather forecast, 54 degrees, two-mile-an-hour winds. Wheels up for Brandon Ayuk, and he delivered. Oh, he delivered at the end of the game. Oh, it was a last-minute touchdown. Oh, he saved it. I didn't save it. It was a great process play. Who else was going to score that touchdown late? It, was, it had to be Ayuk. The whole point of him being the lock button is, in that situation, he's the one that's going to score that touchdown, most likely, because he's getting the air yards. He's getting the target share. It wasn't luck. More points are scored the final two minutes of NFL games than any other time in the game. So don't lament the late game scores. They're what swing matchups and make people millions of dollars. Shut up. It's a great play. Travis Fulgham's for real. I don't know what observation this is. Observation eight. It, you got to love Travis Fulgham because he's living the American dream. He has an opportunity. He is seizing it. Since he became the starter in week four, 82.8 fantasy points. That's number three. In the NFL among wide receivers. More than 20 fantasy points a game is number 8. 2.43 yards per route run. Top 15. And then we have a target premium metric on playerprofiler.com. Which looks at the per target production. Compared to the per target production of the other receivers. In this Philadelphia passing game. So it's a contextual metric. Plus 48.4% target premium. Since he became a full time starter. That means that on any given target. Fulgham has given you close to 50% more than an amalgam of the other receivers in the Philadelphia passing game. And his 46% dominator rating is number three in the NFL. How does he not have the highest dominator rating? And I would remind you that there are two receivers in the NFL that clearly have a higher dominator rating than Travis Fulgham. And if you think hard, you'll be able to guess who they are. Percentage of team receiving yards and touchdowns. That's dominator rating for a wide receiver. Number one and two are Jamison Crowder and Devontae Adams. And then it's Fulgham. If, if you're in the company of Devontae Adams, you're doing a great job, man. And metrics like target premium and dominator rating, they illustrate production and context. So if you go to player profile, you see, oh, the 
target quality rating is low. The catchable target rate is low. Wentz, not accurate when throwing to Fulgham. So that diminishes Fulgham's potential on the one hand. Stall drives, infrequent red zone visits. It's all depressing Fulgham's fantasy point scoring potential. But then on the other hand, there's the lack of target competition. So when the team is matriculating the ball downfield, he's a big part of it. He's benefiting from no Rager for most of the time that we're talking about. No Alshon Jeffrey, very little Deshaun Jackson during that time. So he benefits in the target share department, but in the touchdown department, that's where Travis Fulgham loses out because he doesn't have the volume that he would be getting if this were an up-tempo offense that was able to sustain more drives and he's not scoring the touchdowns that he would be. He'd be scoring more touchdowns in a different offense. But the target share is inflated because the supporting cast is John Hightower, it's Greg Ward, it's Richard Rodgers. It's just, it's not good. It's not good. And it's frustrating to also have Damian Harris. This is observation number nine, we'll say. Because Damian Harris has been good and bad. It's good that he's going over 100 yards in a touchdown. 6.4 yards per carry. Yay! One route run. Oh, right. They're using Harris like they use LeGarrette Blunt. And that's not good, man. LeGarrette Blunt, yes, had an 18 touchdown season when the offense was operating at peak performance, right? This was one of the most efficient offenses in the league with Cam Newton and the lack of weaponry. It's not. It's just not. No receivers, no tight end. <laughs> I mean, you go from Gronk and Edelman, now it's Dalton Keene and Demir Bird and just not good. Not, I mean, hey, Jacoby Myers making the most of his opportunities, 10 targets, and he was getting all the slot routes. So the Patriots have very specific roles for their receivers. Bird, no slot routes, all the outside routes. He has the speed, right? He has the 4-3 speed. And then Myers has the agility with no speed. So they move him 100% inside. So he's just inside only and then Bird outside only. So it's like the Patriots are using player profiler to deploy their receivers in a smart way. So again, good for them. And they lost, but made a game of it, right? And big breakout week for Chase Claypool in that he had his initial breakout week, the 40-point week in fantasy football, one of the most productive weeks in the history of the wide receiver position. Do it again, right? Claypool had that critical re-breakout week. Re-bre- and then the problem is, right, he led the team in targets, nine targets. He was the clear number two to Juju Smith-Schuster, in the route running department, right? I mean, and the only reason really that Juju ran more routes is that Claypool ran more routes with Deontay Johnson out. So Juju was running routes opposite Deontay Johnson, and then Johnson's out, Claypool runs more routes. So when you look at the total routes run, Juju is the route leader. But if you just look at it from when Deontay Johnson left, You could argue that, especially once you factor in the nine targets, being the target leader and the yards per reception and yards per target from week one on, Chase Claypool, a number of metrics, is the most efficient wide receiver in the NFL. You look at metrics, we have like production premium, which looks at every touch from every down and distance and compares it to every touch at that position, at that down and distance that has been logged in the NFL this season and just compares your output from that down and distance at your position to your contemporaries in similar game situations. 
not just down in distances, but also game situations. So we throttle it based on game situation. So in similar situations, how efficient are you? And Claypool has been one of the most efficient in the league. And now if you add volume to that efficiency, this is how you get a sustained breakout. This is how you get a wide receiver one. This is how over time, especially if the Steelers continue to have to throw the ball. And, and that's the problem is that the Steelers will play these, these teams with weak offenses and they'll just run the ball and rely on their defense to win the game for them. And they'll, they'll go out and they'll win 24-10. And that's not great for the fantasy point scoring of the offense. But hopefully, hopefully the defense can start allowing a few more points and then they have to throw the ball more. And then you're going to get Claypool in that six to 10 target zone every week. And if he can maintain the above average efficiency, he can't maintain his current level of efficiency. It's impossible. But if he can just continue to be more efficient than most receivers, then that's how he can start to climb and climb and climb and climb and climb. But there's a problem. There's a problem. After the game, it was revealed that Marlon Humphrey, who spent some time covering Chase Claypool on Sunday, has COVID-19. So just as we're, we're poised to see a sustained breakout for Chase Claypool, a contagious virus may be the only thing preventing Claypool from being a wide receiver one in fantasy football this year. What a world.